Good morning. Today's sermon, today's sermon text um, is Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. And um, if you look in the Blue Pew Bible, it's on page 1512. Page 1512, or you can follow along in your uh, digital Bible. Read with me as I begin at verse 14. The parable of the bags of gold. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here ends this interesting reading. <laughs> I have my job? Yeah. <laughs> Although I'm the one who chose the passage, so no one else to blame except myself. Good morning, everyone. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is John. I get to serve as the lead pastor here at Elmwood. And as we look at this passage today, I want to invite you as we begin, as always, to join me in a word of prayer.
Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Lord, as we come to you this morning, we ask that you would give us a clear picture of the joy and the riches that are at your right hand, that are in your presence. Our desire, Lord, is that we would see this passage, that we would understand it rightly, and that it would change the way that we think about our money, that it would change the way we think about our resources and our relationship to them. Lord, we desire to be wise stewards, and so we pray for your help as we open this word, as we open this passage. Lord, would you, by your Holy Spirit, be present and working among us? Would you teach us? Would you instruct us? Would you challenge us or convict us where that's necessary? And would you bring encouragement where that's necessary? Would you bring hope through these words? We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Well, we all know something of what it's like to be entrusted with something of value. We all know what it's like to be entrusted with something that doesn't belong to us that maybe is very valuable. I remember uh, when I used to work at Starbucks, we would collect all the tips for the week. We'd take all the change out of the tip jars and I was one of the people who was entrusted to take those tips to the bank and cash them out so we weren't giving people a giant bag of coins uh, for their tip money that week. And so that money didn't all belong to me. A portion of it did, a very small portion, but it didn't all belong to me. And the employees at Starbucks entrusted that to me, believing that what was in the bag was going to make it to the bank, and what made it to the bank was going to make it back to the store. They entrusted me with that. This is true if you work maybe in the financial industry. Maybe if you're a financial planner, a financial investor, or if you work for a company or an organization that does that sort of thing, you have been entrusted, you've been given someone else's money. It doesn't belong to you, but you've been entrusted with investing it and stewarding it in the hopes of a good return on investment over time. This is also true of uh, things. Maybe someone has given you an item of very great value. Maybe that's something of sentimental value or something of financial value, and they say to you, Guard this thing with your life. This package must be delivered. This needs, it just would be devastating to me if this got lost, if it got stolen, if it got broken, if it got damaged. It's so valuable. Guard this with your life. Make sure it gets to where it's supposed to be. Make sure you keep it safe. This is also true of information. Maybe somebody has shared something with you that is deeply personal, that is sensitive, that's a very delicate thing, and they've entrusted you with that information. This is also true of opportunities. Maybe there's an opportunity that's in front of you at some point and you think to yourself, I know that I will never again get an opportunity like this in my life, so I need to make the most of it. We all know what it's like in some way, to some degree, to be entrusted with something of value and to be stewards of that thing. What the Bible says is that the entirety of our relationship with money the entirety of our relationship with money falls under the heading of stewardship. The Bible says that God owns everything. There's nothing that you see or experience that does not belong to him. He owns everything. 
And therefore, as we're looking at here today, we are stewards. We are stewards of resources that do not belong to us. We've been entrusted with them to steward them wisely, and that is the entirety of our relationship with our financial resources. We're in a series of messages where we are thinking about the subject of money. And before we get into this text, I'm going to reaffirm something I said last week that's important enough that I'm probably going to say it every single week during these four weeks. And that is this, our promise to you as we talk about money, no guilt, no shame, and no manipulation. Okay, and the reason is we don't believe that we need to use those things. We believe that the Bible's vision that it shows us of how God has designed us to relate to our money and possessions That's compelling enough, okay? So we're not gonna turn down the lights and have the music softly playing in the background and ask the ushers to come forward and then ask you to pull out your pocketbook, okay? We're not gonna do that. We don't need to. God's vision for how we are to relate to money is compelling enough. We don't need to dress it up. We don't need to use manipulation or other tactics like that to shame you into giving more money. And this series isn't just about giving more money to Elmwood in the first place. This is about all of life and our relationship with money in all of life. And so that's our promise, no guilt, no shame, no manipulation. So as we look at this passage today, we need to sort of just set this for a very brief moment in its context. Because parables, as you heard read a moment ago, parables are told for a specific purpose. And if we don't understand the sort of the the literary setting in which that parable is told, we're not going to really understand the parable. So in this part of Matthew's gospel, Jesus has been telling his disciples about his second coming. He's told them, I'm going to suffer and die. I'm going to be raised again on the third day. I'm going to ascend to the Father, and one day I'm going to return. One day I'm going to come back. Nobody knows when that hour is. Nobody knows when that day is. Not even me. Only the Father knows. Therefore, live ready. Live a life of continual expectancy and readiness for the return of Jesus. And so in the context of Jesus talking about his second coming, what this parable is really, the question that it's intended to answer is, what do we do in the meantime? Between Jesus ascending to the Father and Jesus coming back again, what do we do in the meantime? And the answer to that is, as we await the return of Christ, we live as wise stewards of God's resources. That's what this parable tells us about today, living as wise stewards of God's resources. Now, typically parables have one sort of lesson per main character. That's typically the way they work. And so in this passage, we have the master who represents God. We have the faithful servants who stewarded those resources wisely. They count as one character. And then we have the lazy, wicked servant who buried the money in the ground. So those are the three characters. And we're gonna look at a lesson from each of their lives. So first, what we see here is this. God has entrusted every person with some of his resources. That's what we learn as we look at this passage. God has entrusted some of his resources to every single person. So verse 14, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Now, if you're familiar with this passage in a different translation or in a, a, maybe an older version, You may know this as the parable of the talents. The reason that the modern English translators, like here in the NIV, uh, New International Version, translate this as bags of gold is because they don't want us to miss the financial nature of this. This parable is about money. 
When we think of the word talents in English, we think of something like a talent show, okay, where people perform and you look at, you know, Susie plays her clarinet and Johnny plays his trumpet and someone sings and someone dances and everybody claps and says, oh, wow, they're so talented, you know, and it's very edifying for everybody who knows that person, right? That's not at all what a talent was. That's not what talent means when you read in other translations, he entrusted five talents to them. Talents was a monetary unit of measurement in the first century. So a talent was the equivalent of 75 pounds of silver. That was the the monetary value of one talent. So this master gives an enormous amount of money to these servants to be stewarded, to be invested by them. And for an ordinary day laborer, just to kind of put this in context, for an ordinary day laborer, the person who was given five talents was entrusted with between three and five lifetimes worth of resources. So an ordinary day laborer who worked their entire life from mid-teens for 30 years until they could work no longer, it would take them five lifetimes to earn five talents. So this master has given out a crazy amount of resources that in our modern-day equivalent may be something in the range of, I sort of hesitate to even put a dollar amount on this, but somewhere between 10 and $20 million is what's given to these servants, at least given to this servant, and then two is given to another, and one given to another. So this is an incredible amount of money that's being given out, and each of these servants, as you heard read, was entrusted with a different amount, five, two, and one. And it was entrusted to them each according to their ability. Now, I think as we, as we hear that, that phrase of each according to his ability, there's a lot we could read into that. I think what that communicates is something more about the master than about the servant. What it communicates about the master is that he does not bury these servants under unreasonable expectations. He knows the capacity of the servant to whom he gave one talent. He didn't give him five. He knows the capacity of these servants, and so he gives them something proportional to what he knows they can handle so he doesn't bury them under these unreasonable expectations. But the point is that each of them was given a portion of the master's money to steward and to invest and to put to work for his purposes while he was away on this journey. The point that we need to take away from this is that we have all been entrusted with some of God's resources. Depending on your season of life, depending on your specific circumstances, that may be a whole lot of resources, that may be not very many resources at all. But the lesson that we learn from this is that like this master who entrusts his wealth to these servants, every single one of us has been entrusted with some of God's resources. You may be here and the only money that you have is what has been given to you by your parents, maybe as allowance, or just whenever you want something, you have to ask your parents. And unless they give you money, you don't have any. It may be that you are in high school or college, and you're working maybe a part-time job, and you're you know, maybe trying to prepare for your future, trying to save up for a car, you're trying to pay your education as you go, and that part-time job doesn't go very far, and you don't have a lot of resources. It may be that you are in the season of parenting, where you, know, you, can't share a, you, know, you can't buy one meal at a restaurant and your kids just sort of eat off of it, you gotta buy them their own meal now, right? Uh, there may be activities and school and clothing and food and all this stuff that in this season of parenting begins to pile up and begins to add up and you don't feel like you have a whole lot of extra margin in your budget. 
It may be that you're in a season of your career where you're sort of hitting your stride. And maybe you've never had more money than you've ever had at this point in your life. And maybe you're never gonna make any more. You're sort of at the peak of your career and things are going well for you. It may be that you're in a season of retirement and you're maybe living off of a life of money well invested. You may be living off of a healthy 401k retirement plan from your job that you had. It may be that you uh, don't have those resources available to you and you're living off of social security and you're living on a fixed income and that's just your situation. And so all across the board, every single one of us has been entrusted with some amount of resources, some amount of financial resources. That's what this passage is about. It's about money. And we have all been entrusted, maybe it's a lot, maybe it's a little, every single one of us, all the financial resources we have have been entrusted to us by God. They've been given to us. They are his resources that he's called us to steward and to invest. So that's the first lesson we learn here is that God has entrusted every person with some of his resources. The second lesson we learn by looking at the lives of these faithful servants here is that we will be rewarded when we live as faithful stewards. Verse 16, the man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and again gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. So just notice that those first two servants immediately, without any hesitation, at once, they went out and began to put their master's money to work. They began to steward it and invest it well. And then when the master returns, we're told in verse 19, after a long time, he returned to settle accounts. The man who had received five bags of gold, in verse 20, brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come share your master's happiness. Now I want to ask you as, you, as you heard that read, what do you notice about the response that the master gives to the one who earned five and the one who earned two? They're the exact same thing, right? You're a smart group of people. I think this is important for us to recognize this. One of these servants, if you just put the dollar amount that they generated next to each other, one of these guys went out and earned about three lifetimes more income than the other guy. And he got the exact same commendation as the one who came back with two. Now if you put those side by side and you say this guy earned this much money and this guy earned this much money, Humanly speaking, you would say, well, clearly the master is more pleased with who? The guy who gained the more money. And yet we see that's not the way that the master responds. The master responds to both of them in the exact same way. The praise that was given to them was not given to them for the specific amount that they earned. The praise given to them was because they were living about the master's business. 
They were rewarded for wisely and faithfully investing what God had entrusted them. Not the specific dollar amount that they generated in return, but they were commended for living about the master's business. Now this ought to be, this ought to be wildly encouraging for us. And maybe for some of us very humbling. Now imagine, you you may not have to imagine, if you're here today and you're one of those people that would say, I have been entrusted by God with fewer resources. Okay? You can probably look at maybe other people in this room who you know make more money than you or other people in your sphere of influence and you can look at them and say, okay, I know that they make so much more than I do. They have so many more resources. I know that they've been able to invest those resources and their money is making significantly greater of a kingdom impact than my money ever will. And it would be so tempting, wouldn't it, to look at someone else who has more resources to give whose money's maybe doing more, and to say, certainly God is more pleased with them than me. Or it may be tempting to internalize that and to start thinking to yourself, well, I wonder why God chose not to entrust me with a lot. Is it because he knew that I'm untrustworthy? Did he know that I would blow it, and so he chose to give it to someone else who was going to do a better job with it? Friends, the word of encouragement that I want to speak over you today is that the Father does not love you for what you can do for him. The Father does not love you because of your output. God loves you simply because he chose to love you. He doesn't love you because of what you can do for him. And so this is wildly encouraging to hear the one who has little resources, fewer resources, stewarding them well, getting the same exact con. Uh, commendation as the one who stewarded great resources with a great return. And so obviously the other way this goes is true as well. This is humbling for those who have many resources. It can be easy if you have a lot of resources and you've been putting them to work for kingdom purposes. It can be so easy to, to let that sort of get to your head and to think, boy, I must be really valuable to God if he would entrust me with these resources. You know, he must really favor me. He must have known that, he must have known my capacity, and boy, you know, he sure is, he sure is blessed to have me as one of his stewards of his resources. Right? We can let, internalize that, and that can cause us to become arrogant. And the same word of encouragement is spoken over you as well. The Father does not love you because of what you can do for him. God is not more pleased with your stewardship of more than he is of someone else's stewardship of much less. God does not love us because of what we can do for him. He does not love us for our output. As we see with the servants here, they were rewarded, they were commended for faithfully being about the master's business. And the same thing is true of us. For all of us, no matter how much or how few resources we have to be stewarding and investing, we will be, faith, we will be rewarded in the end, when we faithfully steward whatever resources God has entrusted us with. So that's what we learn from these two servants here. We will be rewarded when we live as faithful servants. And lastly, those who fail to live as, God's, as faithful stewards will fall under God's judgment. Listen to verse 24. Then the man who had received one bag of gold, he came. Mastery said... I knew that you were a hard man, investing where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. 
So notice that the, this, this servant blames his laziness and blames his sort of self-protection on the harshness of the master. The master then replies to him, you wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I harvested where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. You know, the bare minimum is just to put the money in, in the bank and let it sit in a savings account where it earns 0.0000015% interest, like our banks, right? <laughs> but you take that much money and you put it on loan with the bankers and it's going to generate something. That's the bare minimum. And the master says, you did less than the bare minimum. You did less than nothing with my money. Sure, you, you guaranteed that you would not lose any of that money, but you also, by burying it in the ground, guaranteed you wouldn't make any return on investment. So he says to this servant, take, or says in verse 28, take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a warning for us in this passage. Did you notice the difference in the way that these servants handled the resources that were given to them? Two of them faithfully, wisely invested it. One took those resources and went about his own business. And this is ultimately what we see here is that this servant came under the judgment of the master because he took the master's resources and went about his own business. He took the master's money and did with it what he wanted to do with it, not what the master wanted him to do. And then he went about his own business, not the master's business. And that's the, that's the warning for us in this passage is that those who take the resources that God has given them and they do with them what they want and they live about their own business instead of living about God's business, they will be held accountable for that. All of us will stand before God one day and give an account for how we stewarded, how we invested the resources that God himself has entrusted to us. And that's the challenge. That's the warning of this passage. And this passage really does force us. It forces us to ask ourselves the question, which servant am I? As you see the way that these servants acted differently, which of those servants would I say more closely I resemble? The one who quickly, enthusiastically went about the master's business, took those resources and put them to work, invested them, stewarded them well, or the one who was afraid of the master, took his resources, did with them whatever I wanted to do, and then went about my own business. This passage forces us to answer that question, which of these servants best represents me? Which servant am I? What response will I receive when I stand before God one day? Will I stand before God and receive the words of commendation? When the master says, well done, good and faithful servant, come share in your master's happiness? Will I receive words of commendation for how I wisely stewarded God's resources? Or will I receive a word of condemnation? 
out into darkness, into the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Of course, this language of darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth, this is referring to cosmic, eternal kinds of judgments here. So this is no small thing to be trifled with. This is a serious thing to think about. Which of these servants am I? The question then is, what is it, okay, what does it look like for us? What does it look like for us to live as wise stewards of God's resources? The short answer is that there is no one-size-fits-all answer to that question. All of us have been entrusted with differing amounts of resources. We have different gifts, different abilities, different competencies, different capabilities, different passions, different spheres of influence. And so exactly what it looks like for each one of us to steward what God has given us looks vastly different. What's the same is that no matter how much we've been given, we bear the responsibility to thoughtfully discern how God wants us to steward and invest his resources because they don't belong to us. And so although the way that that stewardship expresses itself is going to be vastly different for a number of different ways, what's true of all of us is that we are given the responsibility to do the hard work of discerning what does God want me to do with the resources he's entrusted to me? And so that means in the context of if you're married, that's with your spouse, talking about that together. If you're not married, with some close friends, having some form of financial accountability and and help to learn how to steward your resources well. Within the context of our church family and relationships, do people have access to be able to ask you questions about your finances? Or is that area of your discipleship off limits? We get to discern as a church family and help each other grow in how do we steward those resources. You know, I look back at my own experience with money. And I shared a little bit about this on a, on a different week, but uh, I was a young single guy who made a lot of money. The, the, the amount, let me just put it this way. The amount of money that I earned had far outpaced my, my character and my wisdom and my maturity. So I made a lot of money. And I didn't do very well with it. I sort of live with this, okay, you know, I know I'm going to bring in about this much. And I've got these expenses, maybe, you know, my apartment and uh, cell phone bill and car and, you know, all that kind of stuff that, that was factored in. But it's like, okay, I know that I'm going to earn pretty much this much. And here's what my expenses are. As long as those expenses stay somewhere south of what my income is, then we're okay. And of course, when the expenses rose past that point, it was okay because I had just put it on a credit card. And so I would have as long as I needed at 20% interest to pay back that money that, you know, all of a sudden that little thing I bought for $3 cost way more than $3. You know, and there was was a season in my life where I, I never, as a young person, I never once thought about creating a budget of any kind, saying I should like think about what are the categories of things that I need to spend money on. I never once remember giving money to the local church. I viewed my money as my money, and it's for me to do whatever I want with it, and there was no thoughtfulness. There was no intentionality behind, this is money that God has entrusted to me. How can I invest this? How can I steward this well? And I look back at that season of my life, and it's, 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 a, 
it's kind of an embarrassing, shameful thing, to be honest with you. I look back and I think, man, I was the wicked, lazy servant who took God's resources and I did with them what I wanted to do with them. And I went about my business instead of having any thought. I've considered myself a follower of Jesus. Never giving any thought to, I don't know, I should like create a budget. Try and like live within my means. Well, I can always live beyond my means because a credit card will take care of that. That's the way that I lived for so many years of my life. And it's the responsibility of me, and of course this is, if, if you know me, you know well enough to know that uh, the saving grace of God in my, wife, in my life is my wife. And so she's the one who started asking me these questions and realized what she was getting into when she said she would marry me. Um, but anyways, I'm, I'm in a different place than I was then by God's grace through giving me an amazing wife. But it's, it's my responsibility now to continue thinking about how do, what does it look like for us as a family to continue to steward our resources well? And that's the responsibility that all of us have. The reason that we do this, friends, the reason why we pursue a life of living as wise stewards is not primarily because we're afraid of condemnation. You know, you could read this passage and, and be like, whoa, I don't really like where that servant's headed, so I'm going to choose the other life. And there's, there's something good in there, right, about we ought to, there's a healthy kind of self-protection <laughs> where we see like, okay, weeping and gnashing of teeth, I don't want that, so I'm going to be a wise and faithful servant, right? That's, a, that's like a human thing. We should, that should motivate us. But that's not the primary thing that motivates us in our understanding and our view of money and stewardship, the primary thing that motivates us is not that we're, we're not living as wise stewards so that we can avoid punishment. We're living as wise stewards because we love him. Because we have seen who God is. And he is compelling to us. His way of relating to money is good news for us. And so we say, man, whatever I was doing before, I want to stop doing that and adopt God's view of money. I mean, one of the things I was struck by in this passage is, this is so interesting, you know, he gives this one servant five bags of gold, five lifetimes worth of income, and then says to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. And you think, how unfathomably rich must this man be that five lifetimes worth of income is considered few, is considered like pocket change, and this is just the smallest picture of the unfathomable and incalculable richness of God. He owns everything. He is unfathomably rich. And not only this, notice, you've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. So he's unfathomably rich. And then the reward that's given to those servants is not monetary, he doesn't say, hey, you've been a faithful steward. Here's a really big paycheck. The reward that they get is a share in the joy of the master. And sure, there's, God owns all things. And the Bible says that we are heirs with Christ, meaning in some way, like we, we co-own all of God's stuff with him because we're heirs with Christ. But what is said here is not primarily that God gave him the condemnation of, or the commendation of you did a great job, now here's some, here's some material possessions. 
No, he said, come and share in the joy and the happiness of your master. And so as we think about living as wise stewards, we do not live as wise stewards to avoid the condemnation of, the, of that servant. We live as stewards of God's resources, believing that with him there is joy. There is eternal pleasure and joy and that he is unfathomably rich. We've seen his character. We've seen how good he is, that he has been so generous and so kind to us. He's given us his son, Jesus, who came and gave his life in place of ours. As the book of 2 Corinthians says, he was rich and he became poor so that in his poverty we could become rich. We've seen the ways that God has poured out his abundance and his generosity on us. And so we, we choose to be wise stewards, not just as a get out of condemnation card, but because we want to share in the joy of our master. And we get to share in the joy of God as we live as wise stewards. We've seen his generosity, his unfathomable riches, and we want to please him. And so the motivation for this, if you leave with nothing else here today, we do not live as stewards of God's resources out of a fear of condemnation. We live as wise stewards of God's resources because we love him because he's been so generous to us. And we get to respond to that generosity by saying, this is your money. How do I put this to work for your purposes? How do I lovingly serve my friends and my neighbors and my church family? How do I use these resources, not for my own good primarily, but for the good of the advance of your kingdom? And so we get to do that. And that's why we do, that's why we do stewardship the way we do it, is for that reason. And of course, the clearest example that we see in the Bible of God's generosity that he's poured out to us and the richness that we have in him is at the cross. And so we get to come to the communion table as we do each week, and we get to celebrate that God, in his richness, he poured out his abundance on us. He gave us his son who suffered and died in our place so that we who were spiritually not just poor but dead could be made alive and could be brought into his family and could have riches with him. And so we get to come forward and celebrate and remember what Christ has done. And that is what leads us to a life of faithful stewardship. So as we come to the communion table today, I want to invite you to take a few moments of silent reflection and confession. Merciful God, we do confess that we have sinned against you in thought and in word and in deed by the things that we have done as well as by the things that we have left undone. We confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart, mind, and strength, and we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. Lord, we ask forgiveness for the ways that we have not lived as faithful stewards of your resources. Lord, for the ways that we have assumed your generosity the ways that we have assumed that the money that is coming in today is going to be here tomorrow, for the ways that we have not given thought to how we should wisely and best invest the resources that you've given us. Lord, we ask your forgiveness for the ways that we have looked to 
our financial resources to provide something for us that only you were designed to provide for us. For the ways that we have been enslaved to money or the things that money can buy for us. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness. We ask that in your mercy you would forgive what we have been, that you would help us amend what we are, and that you would direct what we shall be so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. And all God's people said, Amen.